my message title is Unchained and Hooked. Unchained and Hooked. But just answer this question first. How many of you have you've, um, missed out on something before because you had the wrong information? Right? So, so somebody invited you to a wedding and then you ended up at the wrong venue. How many of you? <laughs> how many of you have arrived at the wrong time at a at a thing, and they're like, "Oh man, vows are done. Everybody's like eating already, and there you pitch up with your whole, you know, crew." And then, oh my goodness, uh, um, talk about waiting for the bride. What about waiting for the preacher? Uh, my wife and I once had to do a wedding, and then I had I had I had known the venue, but I did not know the venue was that far away, and so <laughs> so everybody waited for us to arrive. Because the wedding couldn't continue because I was, you know, doing the ceremony. Hello. So, um, so I've, I've ended up late at places because I had the wrong information. But tell me this. How many of you have worked on a project and spent a lot of time and energy on producing a product and then realized it was the wrong information? Yeah, you, 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 you experienced that before? That, that's like hectically uncomfortable. I don't know about you, but man, all that energy and all that effort that went into that thing. And then you go and like, oh man, wrong, wrong product. Because you had the wrong information. It kind of sucks when you put in effort, you know, and then you end up having to redo it all just because a simple thing like that, you just add the wrong information. I once uh, ended up at a, uh, arriving late for an exam paper. Who've, who's arrived late at a class, important class that you had? Like, it, it happens, right? Wrong information is not nice, if I can say it in the very least way. Um, and then... The, the other thing that, 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 is, um, that is not nice, if you're working for a solution, you know, and you had to come up with a plan and present it to somebody, and you wrecked your brain the whole night, you get to the office and you present your plan, and the boss goes, oh, don't worry, that's already sorted. You're like, well, you couldn't tell me? <laughs> you could have told me. I'd, I was like wasting so much of my energy and time on, you know, thinking up this solution. And uh, here you are, you don't even need my work. And uh, um, so... Man, as Christians, we sometimes find ourselves in that situation. And here's how that works. You know, as Christians, we sometimes start working for uh, and trying to achieve something, trying to achieve a place in God, trying to come to a place in our relationship with God, only to come to a situation like today where somebody tells you that, hey, you might have had the wrong information. And I'm hoping that today, if you've been having the wrong information about your relationship with God and the lifestyle of Christianity, that at least now somebody's going to give you some good info that you can go ahead and build a really, really awesome relationship and lifestyle of Christianity by. Um, because here's what happens. Sometimes we try, and often, sorry, often we try to achieve a good place and a good standing before God with our own devices, with our own performance and our own good works, not realizing that that solution has already been achieved. That product has already been provided to us and we simply had to receive what was done already instead of trying to produce and reinvent the wheel. How many of you like reinventing wheels? I don't. But as Christians, we often try to reinvent the wheel of our salvation because we keep working and trying to achieve it through our own performance. So we're in the freedom business, amen? And um, I pray that God help us today to, uh, to just fully appropriate that which He has already fully provided 
for us as Christians. And I know as we do that, it'll change our approach to walking with God. But very importantly also, it changes our approach to how we walk with people around us, people in church and people outside church. And um, the product that we can receive from this is, is just amazing. So um, let's all pray. Father, thank you so much that as we sang in these songs, Lord, that you open up our eyes today, that you show us who, we are, who you are, Lord, so that we may understand fully who you've made us to be. And in that, Lord God, there's freedom. In that, Lord God, we might find the true life and purpose for which you have died for us and that we can thrive in that. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to read a scripture verse from Romans 6, and it says the following. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. One of the things that the gospel does is it unchains us from religion. And if you've gotten those notes uh, at the door, you're welcome to follow along and fill in some blanks. Just kind of keeps your mind busy while we're sharing the word of God. The gospel unchains us from religion. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It is the gift of God so that no one can boast. Who's had a birthday recently? Somebody had a birthday recently. Did you get some gifts? When somebody gave you your gift, did you take out your wallet and try to remunerate them for the gift that you got? That's stupidity, right? It's like, hey man, I meant this as a gift. Don't offend me. Come on. You know, I meant this to be a blessing to you. How many of you have received a Walmart gift card before or a, or a, or a Stein's gift card? I like those. Anybody, you know, if, you, if there's an ear to hear, let them hear. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> gift cards. And then you get a gift card and there's like a hundred bucks on it. How many of you go and spend a hundred and more? Yeah, hello, because was the hundred bucks meant for you? Of course it was. It was a gift. You were meant to appropriate the full benefit of that card. You don't go and say, oh man, I can't spend all this money. I better just spend 50. And then I don't know what, just leave the letters to the 50 line there not used? No ways. We're going to take all of that and we're going to appropriate that full benefit to us, right? Well, especially if it's a Steins card for me. Uh, man, Steins, they're going to make me. I, I, I won't say that. I just love that shop. Anyways. Hey, Romans 6, Romans 11 verse 6 says this, if we were saved by grace, if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. It cannot be based on me paying back for what I've received or paying to receive it in the first place. If by grace, then it cannot be based on works. Because if it was, then if it were, grace would no longer be grace. Grace by its very essence is, is free. It's not something you can earn and it's not something you can pay back. It's something that we need to receive. And we receive it, as we know scripture says, we receive it by putting our trust in what God meant for us to be appropriated to us. Um, so I want to talk about some things around this lifestyle that religion causes in in our lives uh, because there sometimes we don't connect the things that we do our common practices and our way of life um, and they're actually still linked 
to a system of religion. And so we don't find breakthroughs that we're supposed to find. We stay stuck in patterns of sin that we've been meant to break off of a long time ago. And uh, we don't actually get to like, full-on pursue the purpose that God actually um, uh, made Jesus die for, right? So I'm hoping that through today we can let go of those practices, practices of religiosity, practices of sin, so that we can full-on embrace the calling and the purpose for which Christ died for us. And in that, we will find, as we'll continue, a lot of peace and a lot of rest to be obtained and a lot of um, joy to be expressed. So, so let's get into it. One of the first things that religion causes in our, in our lives is it causes us to strive and to want to perform. We try to pay back to God because we feel like we have received something good from Him. How many of you have ever felt that, you know, you've, you've had to kind of balance the scales between good and bad in your life, right? So when you, when you do something you know was bad, you feel like, oh man, I better, I better make up with that with some good because at some point, you know, you never know, you might walk across the street and a bus might hit you, you know, and then you better, you better be on the weighty side of good, you know, your scale need to be tipped down on this end because, you know, if you meet God, you have to have that, you need to be in that space where you're good, outweighed your bad. How many of you have felt like that before, right? We get taught that system of merits and demerits and we lose standing with God if we mess up and we gain standing with God if we, you know, do the good things, if we, if we do the things that we know the Bible says we want to do. So I heard one guy said to me the other day, man, he was so stuck in religion that the one day he walked by the, um, he walked by the dish. Uh, the, 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 what do you call this thing that washed the dishes? Yeah, it is a dishwasher, right? They walked by the dishwasher and he didn't offload it and pack it into the cupboards. And as he was walking out of his house, he felt so guilty for not doing that. He felt like, man, that really put me back with God. Stupid things like that sometimes make us feel that, oh my goodness, we've disappointed God. And now we have to perform to get our good standing back with God. Have you ever fought with your wife or you, you looked at something that you shouldn't have and then, and then you think to yourself, oh my goodness, I, I better make this right. I better make this right. I better show up at church on Sunday. That's for sure. I, I got to do that. No questions asked this time. I got I to bring my tithe and a little extra. That's just going to tip that scale right back to where it's supposed to be, right? Oh yeah. I don't know if I'm speaking to the right people. <laughs> You're all very quiet on me suddenly. Um, but sometimes, sometimes we think about those things, right? Sometimes we, we, uh, we think that if we, will just, if we will just do these things, we can make right what we've done wrong, and we can just manage our standing before God. You know what that is like? That is like the Israelites back in the day that they would bring animal sacrifices, of which the Bible says that that could never take away their sins and so all it actually did was reminded them how sinful they are it reminded them how much they were condemned it reminded them of their sin we'll see later that religion this lifestyle where we try to manage our standing before god the bible calls that dead works but it's referred to by the bible as the ministry of condemnation it's a ministry where you feel constantly condemned every time you don't do everything just right 
and you feel that, man, I need, a, I need to do better. And because I want to please God, I ask myself, what do I need to do in order to make myself right with God? And um, the second thing it does is, the first thing, of course, being striving and performance. I try to prove my good. I try to justify why God should have saved me. I try to prove that I was savable, right? The second thing it does, it makes me compare myself to people around me. How many of you have walked into a place and compared yourself to the people around you, compared your success, you compared your moral standing, you, and then you, you find, what do you always find? You always find that one guy that's better than you, right? That guy that does it a little better than you, and then you kind of feel like insecure because, man, I can't worship Jesus like that guy. Or, well, I can't pray like that guy. Or, you know, and then you walk into a church. I don't know if it may, I'm sure it's not this church, but how many of you have walked into a place before and, and you felt that, man, there's a pecking order here, you know? There's the, there's the in-group, right? It's all those people that are like, man, these guys are gung-ho. They just, everybody does everything. And then, and then there's just, you know, the us, us guys, you know? We're just, you know, good for basically warming seats. And, and man, I can't do things that, I can't be that committed than them. I can't, like, surely, you know, um, it's, should, I hope it's okay, but I, I just can't. I just can't be like that. Or, or, you, or, or you've, you've walked this place, you've kind of thought of yourself, thought of yourself oh my goodness, who invited that guy? Am I speaking to anybody here today? <laughs> we do these things, don't we? Like, I, I sometimes do these things, right? It's, it's, kind of, it's kind of because, you know, we, we, we fail to fully stand in that place of security in our relationship with God that we end up doing stupid little things like this. We, we act on these stupid little thoughts that come into our mind. Comparison and insecurity is such a, a big part of living a life where I feel like I need to perform and I need to strive to prove my worth. I need to compete with the people around me and show myself better than that guy. I've th- thought at times like, man, I, I, uh, this was obviously before I, I realized this and I, I, I started building God's rest into my life, um, I would come into a place and I would go like, oh man, you know, that guy is so successful and I feel insecure about where I'm at, what I've achieved in life. Not knowing that God has absolutely cut my own journey out for me and it's not to be compared. Like when Peter compared his journey with Jesus after um, Jesus had risen from the dead to another disciple, Jesus said to him, hey, that doesn't concern you. You just follow me. You follow me. Each and every one of us has been called by God to follow Jesus, not to compare ourselves to people around us, not to weigh ourselves up against those around us. And if we can get into that place of security, of understanding that, hey, my calling before God is secure. I don't have to feel insecure about anything. I don't have to compete with anybody. And I can step out and pursue that what God has called me to pursue without fear of looking like a fool, or without fear of failure, because I know I've already been approved. The gospel wants to set us free from this lifestyle of religion where we're stuck in these patterns of performance and comparison and insecurity. And if we will fully grasp a hold of the truth, we will be able to stand secure and stand free in our lives before God. We will not be under that ministry of condemnation. 
because we will realize that, hey, we've been approved by the work of Jesus Christ. I mean, that just, that, that excites me. I want, I want to be in a place where I don't have to perform in front of other people. I want to be in a place where I feel secure, no matter how well the person next to me is doing, or no matter how different he's doing the same thing that I'm doing from me. And, and, and that is what the gospel gets us. It unchains us from that lifestyle for religion so that we can appropriate that full benefit to ourselves. The second thing it does is it unchains us from sin. Now, we know that the Bible says that, you know, we have been set free from sin. But do we really understand that the Bible says that you have been set free from sin? In other words, no matter what temptation comes against you, that you have already received the power to not succumb to that, to not give in to that. And I'm talking about, you know, just sin in general. But, you know, um, we talk about obvious sins. Stuff like idolatry, you know, um, uh, 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 what is that big one called if you, if you cheat with an A? Adultery. Adultery, that's the one. I knew that word in a different language. Don't worry, I knew that word. Um, and, and things like, you know, sex outside of marriage, lusting with our minds and eyes, stealing, coveting, greed. Uh, these things are obvious sins that we know that the Bible helps us to, get, to overcome. But the Bible also helps us to overcome things like addiction. Do you know that the, because you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and because you have become righteous before God, you have been enabled to break free out of any addiction? doesn't matter what kind it is, whether it's biological, whether it's mental, doesn't matter which one it is. You have received the power to break free from any addiction. Because the gospel, the truth about who you become in Christ has literally ripped you out of the control of that thing and it has set you free. Look what, uh, what Romans 6.14 says. It says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under the law, but you're under grace. Sin shall not have dominion over you. What does that mean? That means that nothing can tell you how you should live your life. Nothing can control you to the point where you have to succumb to its way of doing things. That addiction that you're struggling with, it has no power over you anymore. If you understand that you have become set free, you have been set free from sin. But the Bible doesn't say that it's only those obvious sins that we get to be set free from. We get to be set free from more, more um, almost uh, not so obvious sins. And I want to delve into those not-so-obvious sins today. And I can, I can already feel that it's kind of getting heavy. Do you also feel that? It's like, Woo, what's this guy, this guy going to? This guy? Put your seatbelts on because it's going to get worse just real soon. I want, to, I, want to, I want to show us some patterns in our lives, people, that if we will recognize them, we'll know that, hey, that is not how I ought to be, right? If we can recognize something that is not from God, then at least I'll know that, hey, it's not from God. God has set me free from that. Let me try something different. Let me try another way. I want to show you another way today to do things that is in line with what Jesus had won for us on the cross. But we say stuck in the old way because we don't talk about it. So I'm going to talk about it today, and I don't know if you guys are ready for it, but I, that's what kind of what God told me to do. So I'm just going to keep going with that. And, 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 and by the end of it, I promise you that we're going to talk about what it means to live in a place of rest and righteousness in God. All right? So um, if you already feel condemned, don't. Let me just give you a little bit of the end. 
The ministry of condemnation makes us feel scared and condemned when somebody comes and talks about sin. The ministry of grace affirms to us that, hey, don't worry, that isn't you. That isn't you in the first place anymore. You have become something different. And so I just want to give you a quick like, like view of the end here so that you don't feel like, oh my goodness, I can't, I can't bear to hear any more of this. Titus 2 verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared to us, and it brings salvation to all people. And then it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You see, when Romans 6 says, Sin shall no longer be your master, for you're not under the law, you're under grace, it means that we now have a different master in our lives. Sin was our master under the law because the law showed us how inadequate we were to live up to God's standards. And sin dictated for us how well we can live our lives and how, to what standard we can rise. And we know that under that system, we could never rise high enough to be acceptable in God's eyes. But now we're under a new master and that master is Jesus Christ. And we're, we're, we're being grace. Jesus is grace personified. And he now tells us, hey, listen, I have picked you up. And I've put you above that, that you could not overcome yourself. And so what I'm going to talk to you today is not, a, is not the ministry of condemnation. It's not the ministry that brings you, oh, my goodness, you're so bad. It's the ministry that tells you, hey, all of this that I'm saying this isn't you. Can we make that agreement as before we go on? Everything that I'm going to say right now, this might be stuff that you're stuck in, but it's not what you are. You have been made something different. And I just want to put that out there before we go into it, because these little patterns and these little, you know, things that we used to do, the ways we used to think, what they do is they capture us again. And then we don't get to appropriate that full freedom that Christ had won for us on the cross. And in order to do that, we need to talk about them. So I'm just going to get into it right now. Lord, help me, help me. All right. One of the not so obvious sins that we often struggle with is pride. And the other one is fake humility. Pride and fake humility. Now, you know that you're struggling with the sin of pride if you are too scared to admit that you need help. You try to hide your reality from your brothers and sisters. You put up a brave face when you come to church. You justify every one of the things you do with a spiritual reason. Often pride manifests itself in the over-spiritualizing of things. And um, we say things like, well, I don't need help from people. I just get my help straight from God. In fact, that's pride masquerading as confidence. And true confidence does not mean that I walk alone. True confidence means that I know my limits and I know who to link up with to get me to rise above myself. I'm not fooling myself. I'm walking in my own reality. I know my strength and I know that I also I need others around me to be able to go all the way. Sometimes people have said this, well, I don't really need the church to stand anymore. Um, I can stand by myself. Man, that's... Because I've become mature enough that I don't need others around me. That's how it goes. Well, man, that's just pride masquerading as maturity. 
True maturity knows how to walk in humility, and humility knows when to put up a hand and says, hey, I need some help over here. I need some help over here. I'm not making it. Have you ever tried to control things around you so that it doesn't make you look bad or criticize others when something happens that makes you look bad or excuses your middle name or do you take offense when somebody, somebody mildly corrects you? Might mean that you have some vestiges of pride in your life still that is brought about by this, this thinking that I need to perform and prove myself before God and other people in order to kind of save face and keep myself in, in a, a place of acceptability. Um, I'm going to say this. If you ever have to feel that you need to remind other people that you are the leader, or if you struggle to raise other people up into leadership with you, and you're insecure when other strong people stand up around you, then it is a clear indication that you're in a competitive situation and you're trying to kind of prove yourself still before other people because you have not fully accepted who you have become in Jesus Christ and you have not felt validated enough in who you are and you still feel that you need to prove and you still need to, uh, over, uh, you still need to compete with other people. Um, Sometimes this, in, our, in our marriages, that this plays out like we, we have to remind our wives the whole time that we're the man of the house. <laughs> I felt that I wanted to do that often and now and then. Like, man, you should listen to me. <laughs> you know? It's just showing that I've fully, fully accepted that space of comfort and rest before God where I don't have to fight for myself, where I don't have to compete to feel valid, to feel worthy, to feel that God can use me. Sometimes we're on the other side of this whole equation. We're in fake humility. And uh, in fake humility, you always see yourself as a victim, always talking down on yourself. The phrase, well, that's just how I am. It's a common thing for you to say. Often getting people to feel sorry for you or manipulate people through emotions is an indication that we are in fake humility. You believe the worst about things. You hope the best, but you always expect the worst. You think God is always making you suffer or making you sacrifice for Him or work for Him. Fake humility can also look like, man, I will never be able to break free from this thing, so this is just the cross that I have to bear. Where the Bible never said that about us, that we're gonna have to just settle in certain sins and certain patterns. It has always been communicating to us that you have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. And there is nothing that Jesus did not pay a sufficient price for, for you to break out of. Somebody say amen to that. The truth is that it's neither pride to recognize our strengths, nor is it humility to demean them. It's neither pride to recognize our strengths, and it is neither humility to demean our strengths. This kind of false humility keeps us in darkness and it results in us never stepping into our destinies. Because Jesus did not just die for our sin to get us out of our sin and to get us out of religion. He died so that we can be reinstated to our original purpose. 
He died so that we can become like his son Jesus here in the now already. He wanted us to be reinstated and restored, not just got out of trouble. He wants to put us into purpose. And the gospel brings us the good news that we can walk free of both these existences. The existence where I feel like I constantly have to prove myself before God and others. And the existence where I constantly feel like, man, I cannot break out of things that are dominating me. I cannot resist temptation. Jesus has made us free from both of those things. Here's a a quote that I want you guys to remember. It says, the truth of God's grace humbles a man without degrading him and exalts a man without inflating It exalts a man without inflating him. It says to us, hey, you were not able to save yourself, but I have saved you. And I have not only saved you out of that predicament, but I have now placed you in rulership with me. I've seated you in Christ in heavenly places with me. You have now become a co-worker in my kingdom. You're not just no longer a slave. You have been employed. You have been validated as enough you have contribution to make. And that is our purpose. That's how we pursue God into the contribution that we need to be making in His kingdom. But if I have a false humility, I will never see myself as really having a contribution to make. Or if I have a pride, I will constantly be thinking of myself as insecure compared to the contributions that others are making. And I will not be able to just you know, serve God in my own lane. I will constantly try to prove myself better than other people. Or I will just be like, you know, always looking out for faults in other people just so that I don't have to feel that, hey man, they're excelling more than I. Here's what the gospel does. It hooks us to Jesus. It unchains us from all these things that enslaved us, but it hooks us to Jesus. What does that look like? Romans 14 verse 17 says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What is eating and drinking? It refers to all these observances and things that we had to do to either pay our way to get saved or to pay back. Eating and drinking is everything that the people of old had to do to prove their commitment to God. To stay in the right standing with God. The gospel says that the kingdom of God is not about the eating and the drinking. It's not about everything that I have to do to stay in right standing with God. It is about rather righteousness, peace, and joy. Now we know that we gain righteousness not from our works. We gain righteousness from our trust in Jesus Christ. We gain righteousness by faith. We gain righteousness by faith. So if... if If I need to stop performing and stop trying to prove my goodness to God, it means I can enter a place of rest where I no longer have to work for what Jesus had done a full work for already. And this is the right, this is where the wrong information gets gets to our life so many times. We feel like, yes, I know God saved me and I know He has saved me, but but I still have to, I still have to prove my goodness so that He can continue saving me. Or that I can stay in God's goodness, God's right, you know, in in the right standing with God. I need to keep performing. And then, and then we, we, we take scripture out of context. 
Because we think and we look and when we approach the Bible, we think of it as a book that tells us everything we must do to remain right with God. Where the Bible is meant to be a book of affirmation and a book of uh, uh, validation that just encourages us in, in our understanding of who we have already become and helps us to just take that and appropriate the full benefit of it and now employ it in our pursuit further. Righteousness, rest becomes a metaphor for right, righteousness because I don't have to strive and perform any longer. I can accept that I have been accepted and that makes me rest before God. I can come into His presence every single time knowing that I'm no longer part of the ministry of condemnation. I'm now part of the ministry of affirmation. A ministry that testifies with my spirit, according to Romans 8, that I am a son of God, regardless of my performance. But as a son of God, as I look into my father, I go, man, I see what he has made me. I can see now, I can find the worth inside of me, not based on my works, but based on what he had done for me. And I can see what he's calling me towards. Now I spend less energy trying to, you know, approve myself and I can employ all my energy to just glorify him and to just live out this life in peace and joy with him. So Paul writes a lot about the word glory um, and in 2 Corinthians 3, there's this word. If there was a glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must, exceed, must far exceed it in glory. So the word glory literally means standard. Okay, so for instance, if I have a, um, a, 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 mold, a mold and I have wet clay or cement or something, and I impress that mold onto that wet substance, if I pull it away, the substance reflects the mold, doesn't it? Now, the word glory literally means the weightiness of God. It means if God steps into a situation, He enforces His will and His way on something. So if God's glory is manifest in your life, it's because your life starts looking the way that He wants it to look. That's what it means when it says glory. Now, the ministry of condemnation, it says here, had a particular glory. It had a standard. What was that standard? Well, at least it made us try be good, right? At least it told me, hey, don't go kill anybody. At least it told me, hey, don't start stealing. And so if we followed kind of along with just the, the law of that, even though we followed with the wrong intention, we try to use that to make us approved by God, it still made us live up to high moral standard. It had a glory. It did. It made some of God's nature appear in our lives as we conformed to those um, do's and don'ts, right? But it says the ministry of grace far exceeds this one in glory, which, me which means that if this one had a way to make us as at least strive towards goodness, this one transforms us completely into the standard that God needed us to be at. This, in, this in this way, you could never attain to righteousness. But in this one, you have become the righteousness of God by your very nature. In this one, you were a sinner trying to outwork your sin. In this one, you are no longer a sinner. Your nature has changed and all things have become new. You have become a child of God. You have become a child of God. The glory far surpasses it. So the glory that was, um, that was achieved by abiding to the law to gain acceptance by God was basically striving and performance, judgment and competition. 
that's all it could produce in us. But the glory of the covenant that is based on grace through believing in what Christ did for us produces in us rest, peace, and joy. Or righteousness, peace, and joy. And when you have been made righteous, you have passed over from death to life. There's no zombie phase in the middle here where I have to work to become alive. It's either death or, or it's life. And since we're in Christ, it is life. And it is life and full. It's not half-life. It is life and full. And so often we get stuck here in the middle because we think that, yes, Jesus saved me, and yes, it was by grace, but I still have to prove that I was worthy of being saved, or I still have to pay back now because I was saved. And this, it's a, it's a noble thought to want to pay back to God or to want to you know, please God because of that, but if it comes from the objective of trying to keep my standing in God, it's religion. And it's dead. And it can only produce condemnation and strive in our lives. But it comes, if it comes from a different place, if it comes from a place of me saying, Father, I want to thank you for what I have become. And because I am thankful for what I have become, I am going to just live out this glory that I have received. This new standard that I've received. I'm going to see where this leads. How far this can take me. I'm going to pursue this to the very end. What is the result? The result is that we start moving away from sin. But we don't move away from sin because we're trying to prove our goodness before God. We move away from sin because we're just no longer interested in it. Because it doesn't draw us anymore. We move away from sin because we are pursuing something way more valuable, way more satisfying than what sin could ever lie to us in saying that it would bring us. So um, the standard that grace produces, this place of resting and peace before God. Now in rest and peace and joy in the Lord, you find far more obedience to the moral laws of God than you will ever be able to achieve under the law because under the law you are still being dominated by sin but under grace you've been set free to pursue God in all its fullness in all his fullness who wants to be able to pursue God free from sin I mean that's me I want to I want to get done with all of those things that promised to me a satisfaction that promised to me a solution but always ends up lying to me and just keeping getting me in trouble and this is the way how we get there. We get there by not engaging that game. We almost check out. It's like, huh, I'm sorry. I'm not going to play your game. God has introduced a whole new game. And that game is where I see myself as absolutely righteous before him. I rest in the fact that I've become a child of God. And because I understand who I am, my nature determines my actions. But if I'm still confused, if I'm still seeing myself as, oh man, I got to fight this, you know, this old man of mine, you know, the old man, we always talk about the old man, that's the old me, oh my goodness, you know, that's the, that's the, you know, the, 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 the black dog in me, I don't got to st stop feeding that black, guys, that black dog's dead, it's gone, 
that old you was buried. God didn't call us to be dead grave diggers. Come on. He did not call us to go and resurrect that old guy or to go and wrestle that old guy. The best I can do with myself if I feel like I'm falling in sin is I can declare unto myself that, hey, you're not acting yourself. You're not acting according to who you are. This is not you. You don't like that anymore. You don't think like that anymore. Here's who you've become. You've become the righteousness of God. You've become a son of God. That doesn't interest you anymore. So if you find yourself having to wonder, how do I treat this middle place where, yes, I still make mistakes, that's how you treat it. You preach to yourself. You tell yourself, man, that's not you. you don't, you don't, you're not interested in those things anymore. That doesn't satisfy you. If you think about temptation, how it urges you to give into it, how it urges you to take up that thing and to, to repeat that pattern or to, to, to react in the same way that you always reacted. How it urges you. Well, you need to start urging yourself to say, hey man, that is not how I want to act. I've changed. I've crossed over. I don't do things like that anymore. I don't listen to those temptations anymore. I'm not drawn by that anymore. Even though you might feel like your soul is saying to you, hey, I want this, or your body's telling you, I want this, you tell yourself, that, that's not me. It's not me anymore. You see, because God did not just die for us so that we can um, get out of sin. He died for us so that we can pursue him fully and fully appropriate every bit of the victory that he had gained for us on the cross don't settle here in the middle don't settle don't subscribe to this whole thing of man i need to perform and compare and and strive and etc just get into a place where you accept who god has made you to be and he's made you to be a son his daughter he's placed the highest value on you and he has a great plan for you to keep pursuing him into showing forth this new glory that he has placed you in. I want us to be clear. Living a life of victory over sin and religion isn't something we need to work towards. It's something we need to accept that we have been enabled to do right now, already. You are able to live that lifestyle already because jesus has made you free from um from the old life how many of you've heard this scripture quoted before we must work at our salvation with fear and trembling anybody heard that that scripture verse right you need to work at your salvation well luckily for us that is not how the scripture verse goes because in in truth it actually says you need to work out your salvation in fear and trembling Working out our salvation is living with the right frame of mind in the place that God has placed us. It accepts first and foremost that I am no longer subject to sin and temptation. I am no longer subject to having to prove myself before God and others. I can live free and in rest with who God has made me to be. And I can reaffirm to myself every single time that something tells me that I am still needing to sin. I can tell, ah, that's not who I am. That's not, that's not who I am. Um, working out my salvation accepts this reality and applies it to everything else. 
So that, that character flaw that I still have, you know, I still go off on my wife every now and then. Well, you need to come to a point where you realize, man, that is how that dead person reacted. You need to discover the glorious ways of rest, peace, and joy in reacting to that same situation. Because there's a way that you don't have to fight to be heard. You can rest, have peace, and joy. And that situation will still resolve itself. You will still find solution. You will still find victory in that area where you've been falsely accused. You can get the best result without having to prove yourself, without having to fight the battle the way you used to fight it. But God is calling us to accept that and then to apply that to every single situation. You get mocked at school. How do you respond? Well, if you have not rested in peace and joy, you are not able to respond with grace and truth to the people that does that. But once you accept that and you apply your salvation in that area, you go away and you stop praying for those guys. You don't get hurt or offended. You stop praying for them. And you start saying things like, God, they don't know what they're doing. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will help them, that you will reveal your love to them. It enables you to walk in a way that is ultimately more powerful than the way that you used to walk in. Because you're seated with Christ above all of these issues and you can walk above it. So, as we, as we consider this today, we need to realize that this isn't something that we need to work towards. This is something that we're that we're enabled to do already. And as we apply our right thinking to this, we will not any longer accept any condemnation, any insecure thoughts, any thoughts of performance, any temptation that dictates to us that we're still stuck in old things. We will reject all of that. And we will accept the truth what Jesus' word declares over us and about us, and we will be able to actually pursue that. Now, here's what um, Psalm 112 says. It says, how joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. If you want to live a life of full joy and full peace, you start applying this reality to your life. Because as you do that, you're actually winning you actually overcome sin. You actually start overcoming uh, battles that you have been fighting, addictions, patterns, things that have vexed your soul. You actually start breaking free from those things. Uh, um, Philippians 4.19, and I'm going to close with this one. It's whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen me put, into pra- put this into practice and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with us as we put in practice this awesome benefit that he has gained on our behalf. That we don't have to strive towards getting ourselves. It has been given to us. So when we do that, we start asking different questions about our lives. We don't ask anymore, how can I prove myself? How can I you know, make myself look good? How can I pr- work and, and achieve a good standing before God? No. We, we simply start asking, 
What, has I, what have I already been enabled to do? And th- remember I said that this has a different glory? In this one, we work our way, but we can never reach it. In this one, it's been reached on our behalf. I ask myself, how do I reflect that? The fact that I am righteous, the fact that I am victorious over sin, the fact that I don't think in terms of being tempted by things or lured by things, how do I reflect that? Because that is who I am. So I will, I will think through my actions. Is screaming at my kids right now, is that going to reflect the standard that I have attained? No, it's not. Is blaming people around me for how things went wrong, is that going to reflect this standard that I've already attained? No, it's not. I am simply thinking through, how do I reflect what is already true about me? I'm not trying to achieve it by working towards it. In order to do that, we need to reject religion. We need to reject the notion that I can work myself into that place. I want to lead us in a prayer today as we close.